Welcome to another episode of Follow the Brand. I am your host, Grant McGaw, CEO of Five Star BDM, a five-star personal branding and business development company. I want to take you on a journey that takes another deep dive into the world of personal branding and business development using compelling personal stories, business conversations, and tips to improve your personal brand. By listening to the Follow the Brand podcast series, you will be able to differentiate yourself from the competition and allow you to build trust with prospective clients and employers. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Make it one that will set you apart, build trust, and reflect who you are. Developing your five-star personal brand is a great way to demonstrate your skills and knowledge. If you have any questions for me or my guests, please email me at grant.magaw, spelled M-C-G-A-U-G-H, at 5star BDM, B for brand, D for development, M for masters.com. Now let's begin with our next five-star episode on Follow the Brand. I'm your host, Grant McGaw, CEO of Five Star BDM and host of the Follow Brand Podcast, where we are building a five-star brand that you can follow. Listeners across the globe, welcome to the Follow Brand Podcast, where today's insights shape tomorrow's breakthroughs. It is my distinct pleasure to introduce Richie Edwaru, a virtuoso in the sphere of artificial intelligence and a champion of digital transformation. Richie stands at the forefront of technological evolution, driving growth and innovation in Fortune 500 and venture-backed companies, all while championing the values of trust, integrity, and transparency. A thought leader who harmonizes the nostalgic beats of 80s music with the futuristic rhythms of AI, Richie has shaped discussions from the Harvard Business Review to the United Nations advocating for AI as a global equalizer and the custodian of the 31st human right. His visionary perspectives on data privacy have echoed through the halls of tech conferences and his commitment to deep health and equity in technology have made him a pivotal figure in our quest for a fairer world. Prepare to be inspired as we welcome a man whose pulse on innovation is matched only by his heartbeat for humanity. Richie and Waru, we're honored to have you with us on the Follow Brand Podcast, where we are building a five-star brand that you can follow. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Follow Brand Podcast. I am elated right now. I had the privilege of seeing my next guest live down here in South Florida. He blew me away with his perspectives on where we're at now from an emerging technology perspective. He has worked in this sector for a number of years. He's very creative. He has been working with a lot of different consultants along his time in many industries, but he has a passion for healthcare. And I wanted to bring it to the stage. Let's talk about this because he is going to be our keynote speaker for him south florida and we're going to talk about digital horizons 2023 so let's bring up richie let's have a conversation richie you'd like to introduce yourself 
Hey, Grant, thanks for having me. And hello to all the listeners out there. I don't know where this guy gets the energy from. It's late in the afternoon and he's still stoked here. But thanks for having me. Um, I am, I'm sort of like a three-legged stool. I'm a geek in one leg. I'm a corporate operator in another, and I'm sort of a creative in another. So I have the pleasure of working across different industries, different type of risk ambition, whether it's publicly traded companies, PE-backed or venture. Um, but where I have my oxygen, where I get my oxygen is from speaking and sharing and collaborating. So I'm in my zone here. Let's get it going. Well, let's get it going. First, let's back up just a little bit. Because you're, I believe you're in New York City. Is that what you call home in the New York area? I am. Yep. I'm in the New York City area. But you got your beginnings in Guyana. I want to hear just a little bit. How do you go from being in that small company in Guyana to you're in the big Apple, the big city, doing big things with big tech? How does that happen? Well, well, it's a banana boat. That's how that's how you get here. <laughs> so uh, born in South America, it's a British speaking colony. Um, Guyana, Guyana is, is not very um, economically advanced, although the, the last 10 years has been very interesting because uh, oil was found off of the coast of the country. And now it's one of the fastest growing GDPs in the world. Um, but I, I migrated here right after college, uh, right after high school, um, about 30 years ago to go to college here. And went through the same experience like everybody else, right? You travel, you know, 20 years in the future. I remember landing here and thinking that, you know, only Eddie Murphy had, had, a, had, a, had a limousine because I had seen, uh, you know, coming to America. And uh, when I landed at JFK Airport and saw the limousines outside, I thought, man, Eddie Murphy must be here. Um, but then I realized, you know, that's just the difference in the world. So, you know, getting here as a migrant, um, it has its pros and its, its cons. But one of the things that I really enjoyed was, traveling 20 years into the future. So you come from a country, I, maybe I traveled 30, 40 years. That's really backwards. Doesn't have all the electric stuff, doesn't have the computer. And then you take a five-hour flight and you land here and like, oh my God, look at all this stuff that I never thought could happen. And that, that trait has kind of led me to the place that I am today, where I now realize that the future is always here. It's just not distributed evenly. And so that's given me sort of that, that vantage point to look at various markets and kind of see trends, et cetera. That is a wonderful analogy. I never even thought of it like that. And you can land in a, on this very planet, just go to a different geography. Maybe like that's what I would probably feel if I went to Silicon Valley or something like that. Like, wow, look at all this cool stuff. I'm going to tell you something. When I was with you here in South Florida, you popped over your computer and I saw you working with this spatial engineering. And I'm like, what the heck is Richie doing? And then you're telling me, yeah, I invented this technology, man. You've got to share that with our audience. Yeah, so so the geek part of me kind of dances with the corporate part, and then they hang out with the creative part together. Um, you know, there's people that are bipolar and sort of tripolar, I suppose. Um, what what Grant and I, uh, we were there uh, talking about AI in the future. I, I'm operating a venture-backed company in the meantime, and the thing with startups is that when you play them, um, you have to play for a big, a big outcome. It's very hard. It's very difficult. Um, you don't go into startups hoping, you know, to, to hit a hit a single. You go into startups looking for a grand slam because it's so hard. It's so difficult, and it's you underestimate the difficulty so much that you shouldn't do anything that's small. And so the startup that I'm operating right now. Um, you know, we looked at a thesis and we said, if people are going to be more remote, 
And if people are going to start to interact, collaborate, communicate, and transact more on the screens that we have today, um, what is something that's going to be needed in the future to be able to make that feel more natural? And the thing that we saw was headsets. So the VR headset, the AR headset, that was sort of the, the version of reality that existed right in front of us. If you wanted to have a deeper connection, if you wanted to communicate better, if you wanted to have more retention in what you say, you got to kind of stick a headset on your head and kind of do that. And I thought that there are other versions of that reality in the future. And I had a thesis that we could use software using machine learning and computer vision. This was way before AI became popular. So about three and a half, four years ago to build a software version of a headset where using the devices that you have today, your Mac, your PC, your regular camera, without putting anything on your head, without putting anything on your hands, to be able to get the same benefits of a headset, to feel like you're there in the room, to feel an interactivity, a perception of depth. And, you know, three years in, $25 million of engineering after, a lot of hard work, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, we now have software that allows you to experience the benefits of virtual reality right on the computer you have without having to put a hardware on. We call it immersive reality. So there's VR, AR, and we call this IR. Works on the web. Um, you know, super interesting. I think that the simplest way to get the to get the audience a visual for it is think about your computer on your desk that you have right now, your laptop or your your PC. Think about the front of it becoming interactive air, like Minority Report, like Tom Cruise in Minority Report, and think about the back of it turning into the metaverse, where you could lean in and look around without any hardware. That's kind of what I've been working on. Super interesting, super hard at the same time. I I. I couldn't get what you just explained. Somebody's like, wow, that's so like that. It's not existing. I saw it. I worked with it myself. I saw how it interacted like this. This is happening. This is where we're going. Everything we've heard, you know, it's almost like you got the metaverse, you got AI, you've got all the friction that you have now between, hey, people not going, not adopting the metaverse as much as you thought they were going to that starts to melt away. And this whole 3D interactive reality is really taking shape. I want to change the conversation just a little bit because you're coming here to talk to a healthcare audience, senior healthcare executives throughout South Florida, and they're interested in emerging technologies, digital transformation. They're interested in like, here, well, They've been told year after year, we're laggards in this industry. We, we're not adopting technology. There's better ways to do it, to, to deliver patient outcomes, to deliver patient or even the, the workforce better, to take some of the friction out of that. How do you start utilizing some of the tech that you're working on as we start looking forward? Because this is all about Digital Horizons 2030. It's a snippet what you might talk about at our, at our conference coming up. Well, I think I think it's it's really interesting that um, industries that are the last to adopt technology are seen as unsophisticated somehow. Um, the facts are that industries have been absorbing technology for a very long time, whether it was electricity, iron, uh, motors, steam engines, the internet. You know, every industry goes through a process where you absorb some new technology and the dynamics of the market and the competitive nature of the market forces you to loosen capital, to do a CapEx investment, to be able to transform your business. And as you balance 
every time there's new technology to be absorbed, you have to balance the propensity to win with the capacity for change, right? And then, and then you kind of decide what transformation journey you want to go on. Um, some industries can go first and pay what are considered to be the learning taxes to get it wrong and go first. And some industries just can't. I mean, with healthcare, we're talking about people's lives. And, and you want to make sure the bugs are out of the technology. You want to make sure the best practices are established. You want to make sure that the risk has been lowered to a certain place before you implement certain technologies into healthcare so that you can, you can absorb the technology and improve lives. So I think first and foremost, what I'm, what I'm, the conversation I want to have with the audience is going to be, you know, going first is not a good thing in your industry. And there's nothing wrong with going next to last. That's okay. The question is, when it's time to go, are you prepared? Do you have a good idea how to use it? Do you have a good plan? Do you have a strategy in mind? And, and the issue there is a lot of times the experts don't gravitate to the industries that are going last. And so you don't get to hire the right talent. You don't get to engage with the right consulting organizations to make sure that when it's time to go, you're going all the way forward. And so I want to make sure that, that no one feels like, oh, my God, I'm in healthcare. We're always last. You're supposed to be last. That's the way it is. We're playing with people's lives here. Right. So that's first. Second is, I think when it goes to adopting new technology, whether it's AI, which we're going to talk about, whether it's immersive reality, which we'll talk about a little bit. I may even show it uh, uh, if, if you'd like to, Grant. I don't want to make that the distraction of the show. Um, everybody likes to see a little minority report, so to speak, right? But, you know, as we think about engaging with technology, healthcare has a lot of opportunities where we can go first. And the, the question is to be able to parse the risk in the various use cases to find those no regret use cases where you can go out and you're looking for two things. You're looking for an output, meaning you've created some accretive value for patients or the networks or payers. But more importantly, you're looking for learning at the same time. Yes, the industry can go last on something, but the industry should be the most prepared when it's ready to go. So that's kind of the conversation I'm going to be hoping to have with the executives down at the event in South Florida. Oh, you will have that. That, that I love the preference of what you just said because it makes sense. It makes perfect sense uh, because you are dealing with patient lives, and and that is most most important. And we want to improve on those outcomes to the best level. One of the things that we're seeing now with this emerging technology is in the fact of you know with AI, it's about ethics, it's about digital ethics. We don't have the laws because. The technology is emerging so fast and, and it's coming, it's, the, its impact is so powerful that our laws, our regulations, everything that we've had in place from a compliance doesn't fit. How do you see this playing out overall? And do you see this as being a positive or negative in, in healthcare? This episode is brought to you by Five Star BDM. Five Star BDM is a professional consulting and advisory group keenly focused on business development services for small to mid-sized businesses and entrepreneurs. Although every business is unique, they often share challenges that can be addressed through smart branding. Services include process improvement in operations, digital strategy and transformation, 
business intelligence, digital marketing, and personal branding. Our five-star business and personal branding company has helped a number of professionals and organizations to optimize and grow. The result is more business, more opportunities, better reach, positive outcomes. Please visit www.5starbdm.com to learn more and view all the episodes of Follow the Brand. Yeah. So I think every change that could occur to a group of humans um, has different opinions about the change as it's happening. Um, if we had a class of 30 students right now, and there was, the class was happening at 2 p.m. this afternoon, and Grant, we decided we're going to change the hour of the class to another day. In that 30, that, that, that you know, population of 30 students, they're going to be the evangelists who are like, yes, class changes. Everything is great. Then there's going to be the, the optimists and the realists and the pessimists and the alarmists. The alarmist is going to go, oh, my God, um, this is it. They're going to change classes forever. We're done. College is over. Right. Human opinion always spreads on this bell curve about what's going to happen about change. And with AI, it's no different. We've got the evangelist on one side, the optimist, the realist, the pessimist, and the alarmist on this bell curve. And so it's important to kind of parse someone's bias to that bell curve to understand where the facts really lie. The truth is with every piece of change, everything from the internet to electricity to fire, uh, there are massive benefits that come to it as we think about our standard of life and the value we create and the types of communities and cultures that we evolve. And there are challenges as well. Fire is probably the best example, right? There's a good, uh, there's a good saying, fire is a great servant and a terrible master, yeah. right? Well, where would we be without fire today? So as we think about these waves of technology as we have to absorb them, both as corporations and cultures, there's always going to be good and bad. Where we are with AI is a little bit better than where we, was, where we were with the internet. And I say that because I believe that we're having conversations earlier about the unintended consequences that can come from the technology, right? If we think about the day we connected to the internet, most of us connected to the internet because a CD was sent to our house. There was a code on the CD, you popped it into your machine and you plugged a modem in and you heard, you got mail, right? And that's how we were connected. We didn't have any conversation about ethics. We didn't have any conversation about bias. We didn't have any conversation about equity, inclusion, or exclusion, right? We didn't have any conversations about mental health. It was about 15, 20 years after when everybody started to post their information on Facebook and create an unnecessary spike in human vanity, did we really start to have these conversations about the unintended consequences? So while I agree that AI is moving faster and AI is bigger, and it has more impact, we're also way more aware about the unintended consequences that we see today. Now, are we going to have some ebb and flow between government being behind and technology being advanced or technology being too advanced and culture not catching up? Obviously, right? We're going to stumble a few times before we start, how to, start to think about how to run this marathon. And that's an unavoided consequences of its own, right? But in the long arc of humanity, I believe that we will be able to trend towards good for all, positive to all, just like we've been trending the way we are today. When you look at the world through a decade lens, it seems like things are not moving. But when you look at it through the lens of a century, 
you see that the long arc of human nature uh, curves towards a fairer, more just, uh, more, more enjoyable life. Oh, man, I like that. I'm getting this vision of Prometheus. You know, everybody remembers, if you know the story of Prometheus, so he brings fire uh, down to mankind from the gods, right? And it's kind of like where we're going. We're, we're bringing this incredible intelligence to humanity. And to your point, you don't know, some people will take the fire and build a village and have a campfire and do good things. Other people might want to burn down a forest. So we, we've got to be cognizant uh, of those factors. I want to bring something up because I know there's so many people on my IT side of the ball who are just itching for me to ask you this question. You have been very successful at developing applications, software applications, different technologies over your career. And people are like, yeah, I got this idea. They want to get into the startup world. They want to, they want to be that next big thing. What advice would you give them? Well, I think, I think first of all, um, if you are not prepared to fail miserably, don't get, don't get started. Um, the odds of achieving a disproportionately, um, you know, positive performance uh, or disproportionately positive outcome in a venture are like one in a hundred. And so you're playing a game where you have a 99% chance of failure. And in startups, you, you take on a startup the way you take on a child, right? You, you, it's yours. It's your baby in some ways. You have your fingerprint, your brand, your DNA into it. The slides look the way you think, you know, the, the company's name based on a set of verbal values that you have. And so when you fail, it's catastrophic. Right. It's it's not for the faint of heart. Now, I'm not saying that everybody's not good enough to try what I'm saying, that everybody's not prepared enough to fail. And that's that's the first piece of advice I would give. That preparation for failure is very, very, very important because it damages mental health, it damages quality of life. The second thing I would say is if you're not passionate about the problem that you're trying to solve, and I know this is said over and over and over and over. But if you're not passionate about the problem and you're slightly oriented to the technology or the solution, you're already at odds of losing. Because what I've found is that the thing that you think is going to solve the problem very rarely actually solves the problem. You've got to have the courage to pivot over and over and over to be able to solve that problem. So the thing that you should be in love with and at war with at the same time is the problem, not the technology. And a lot of times, Founders come from a very solution orient a solution orientation. You know, I've got this thing that I think could solve this thing. And by the way, look at the amount of things that could solve at the same time. You're already set up for failure. You've got to have some problem that irks you, that irritates you, that getting rid of that problem is the bane of your existence. And that gives you the fuel and the fortitude to break through the thousands of walls that are going to be in front of you. For example, with Mobius, while I'm excited about the technology, the thing that I don't want more than anything else is I don't want to find out 10 years from now, my kids are lying on a sofa with a, with a toaster strapped to their head with their entire view of the world occluded. So I am here to get rid of that version of the future, regardless of how we get there from a technological standpoint. Now, that doesn't guarantee my success, but it certainly insulates me away from falling in love with the solution. 
Startups, winning startups is an emotional game. It's not a technical game. It's a game of the heart, not a game of the brain. And you have to find something that you are at war with to be able to go all the way. Man, I think that advice there is golden. And that doesn't mean don't do, don't live your passion, but understand the right frame of mind that you've got to be in and be prepared to win the game. I every week, you know, I'm a big NFL football fan, right? And you got to get out there and you're playing against the strongest, smartest people on the planet that's against you in order to win the game. You have to understand that, that everybody wants the Super Bowl trophy at the end of the day. And I think if you really look at it, at the end of that day of those 32 teams and that one team that actually wins that game, all of them are elevated to a, a higher level because of how they collaborated, how they competed, how they got to that level. And, and that, that changes the whole game or what I call the NFL. So we got to look at how we change the game of the startup community. What does that look like? Help IT. How, how does that look? How do we you know, place this into our society to make maximum impact to your point earlier? So our kids, because that's what we're doing it for, right? Our generations that are following us, so they don't have a toaster strapped to their head or a microwave. Or, you know, I remember being in front of television. Oh, you're looking at that thing, your eyes are going to go blind. I remember all those things. So, but the technology changes over time, but it takes people like yourself to change it, to, to be brave enough to do it, to take it on. And I'm going to ask you this on a personal level. If someone had to say, you're not even in the room, someone had to say, yeah, Richie Prasad, I think we need to bring you in. He's very good. He's, you know, he's been a chief technology officer. He's done a lot of different things for a lot of different startups. He's got some great, great ideas. How do you like him as a person? What do you think about him? What do you think they would say? Well, I think it depends on who you ask. Um, if you ask my family, my immediate family, my my wife and 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 my two sons, you know, they would say he's a nerd. You know, he's he's always reading, drawing, tinkering, um, you know, that type of stuff. Um, if you ask my extended family, they'll say he's a little strange. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not necessarily um, very accessible to sort of like, you know, the, the more normal colloquial behaviors, right, of, of the species. Um, if you ask my colleagues, um, they will say that he is intense but kind. Um, I, I can be very intense, but I'm never rude um, or, or too overly direct. And if you ask my competition, they'll say he's a murderer. I mean, I, 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 play, I play the game to win for my clients. And, and you know, um, winning for clients is a competitive sport. And uh, uh, I, th I think my competitors would probably have the best description of me, which is, you know, I'm, I'm very intense in the market. You know, fuel your creativity because you know that there's a other we're gonna call them killers on the other side of that ball, and they're going after that same trophy like I was giving out with that NFL. But that makes you better, makes you stronger, makes you like wow, like you come out with your whole new creation. You've rolled it out. You've got to get out there. You got your you know it's pitch night, right? You got to pitch that in front of these investors who've got the millions of dollars that they're going to put it in your pocket, and then you're ready to get on stage. And somebody comes on before you, and they got a killer athlete. You went, oh my god, has that ever happened to you? I've had situations like that, um, but it's it's like, look, I'm a Jets fan, 
right? And uh, you got it. You got it. You have to empathize with me for being a Jets fan. Last time I saw a good game from the Jets was a Monday night when Vinny Vinny Testaverde came back in the fourth quarter and I think beat the Miami Dolphins. I think uh, I think uh, what was uh, Dan Marino retired after that that day. This is like twenty years ago. Um, but part of it is is you know you your level of play raises when you play against the best, right? Um, you know, if, if the Jets were to practice against the Eagles for six times next year, I guarantee you they're going to, they're going to play better. Right. So a lot of times in the business context, um, competition is really just an opportunity to raise your game. Um, to me, uh, the hardest pitchers are the ones that I grow the most, uh, the most difficult, um, competitive, uh, pursuits are the ones where I advance the most. And so, yes, um, you know, it feels terrible, but there's really no growth without pain, right? So that's how. Now, is it unfortunate and is it uh, is it is it disappointing sometimes? Yep. But I believe that the stronger the opponent that you play, the more growth you get. And I got one more question, maybe two. I don't know, but this is good. If I asked you, I said, Bridget, what's your greatest achievement in your life so far that you're very proud of? What would you say? Well, I have, I have a, I have more of a close personal one, and then I'll give you something that's a sure. little bit externalized. But um, my, my oldest, I got two boys, uh, one six, one's four and a half. And my, my oldest boy, um, you know, I had him watching uh, TED Talks when he was like six months old. You know, most kids are watching the wheels of the bus go round and round. I had him watching TED Talks. I'm not even sure if he would have understood them at the time. And I trained him very early to say the only things that should be in your head are ideas. Like you should be coming up with ideas all the time. That's the whole nature of the world. Like just think about things that hadn't been taught. And uh, the other day, somebody was talking to him, one of his uncles, and you know, he's just he's that kid now, right? He's just it's going on all the time. And so he's constantly coming up with interesting things. And his uncle goes, Hey, what's going on in your brain? And he goes, oh, there's a party up there. It's, it's eating cake and chocolates and just coming up with ideas all the time. And I was like, there's a party in your head eating cake, just coming up with ideas. He's like, yep, that's what's happening here. I saw for a six-year-old, that's what they want, right? Cake that's and chocolate awesome. in their head. So that's that's something that I, I take pride in. Um, my wife is pretty convinced that that's going to have a long-term negative impact on him, but we'll see how that, how that plays out. Um, something more external. Uh, my first startup uh, that I did was in privacy. And at that point, I looked at the market and I thought that human data should be human property, meaning just like our intellectual property, our thoughts are ours through intellectual property, our productivity is ours through labor laws, um, that our activity should become ours, the data that emits from us. Um, and that organizations that were monetizing this data in surveillance capitalism were sort of on the wrong side of history. And that we ought to think about this. And so I built a company um, and the go to market was to look at business to consumer contracts. So when you download an app, you see this long contract that you would scroll through. And at the bottom is a beautifully designed I accept button. I built technology to read thousands of those contracts using natural language processing. This is way before AI was automated and had a workbench. And to be able to extract the common words that made up the clauses that were negotiable in the contract so that we could turn the I accept button into a set of sliders 
right? Where you can go, look, I'm willing to give this amount of my data, but in exchange, I'm willing to pay for it as opposed to, you know, I'll give you all my data and I want the service for free. So a negotiable moment as opposed to the take it or leave it, I accept button. And it was very interesting. Uh, we were able to take that to market. That company is still running today. Not as, not as great as I would hope it to run, but think about this was six years ago. Today, now we all realize our data is being used to train artificial intelligence. The go-to-market is what I'm proud of. Um, I looked at society and it occurred to me that we needed a 31st human right. We had 30 already. Human rights are from 1948 and they're great making sure that you know, we don't damage each other, but it's not done. There's no rule that says we would only have 30. And we needed to add more as we go forward. And so I petitioned the United Nations to add a 31st human right to the Declaration of Human Rights that would classify human data as human property. Of course, they said absolutely not, and we would need more consensus and all that type of stuff. But in the raising of that conversation, right around the time of GDPR, you know, there were 10 chief privacy officers in the world. If you searched on LinkedIn, today there's over 10,000. We were the only startup in the world that was trying to give people property rights on their data. Today, is only two, there's over 250 VC-backed startups that are trying to help people monetize their data. So that's that's a piece of the work. That's a body of work that I'm very proud of. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to see that one all the way to the end, but I'm sure as hell happy that I was a part of the beginning. No, no, you'll be the father of that document. I love that, man. That will have to be get your name. That'll be that. That'll be the bill. You know, the uh, Richie Etowaru bill, and that'll be it. You know, so I'm looking forward to that. One more thing before I leave you, and that is, what would you like to? Tell our upcoming audience at Him South Florida Integrate 2023, you're going to be a keynote speaker for our lunchtime. What would you like to tell them about you know, what you're going to talk about, what's important for you, what do you think is going to be most relevant? Well, I think, we're, so we're going to talk about AI a little bit, and I'm going to talk about why AI is a little bit different from every other wave of technology that we've had to absorb whether it's software or the internet or everything else. And what's different is that AI has this component where it accelerates the benefit of everything that's come before it. So AI makes software faster. AI makes electrical circuits, circuits more effective. It makes industry more efficient with machines. It advances mathematics. It has made language better with large language models. And when AI is applied to the platform of biology, the synthetic biology will move, will move faster. And so in many ways, we're going into a cycle where the speed is going to double or triple of what we're going to see as far as adopting technological change. And a lot of big things are going to happen that would have happened 10, you know, 10 years, 100 years, 300 years out are going to get pulled in a little bit. The future is about to appear two times faster than it would have. Wow. And as a result, as you think about organizations, you have to think now about how do you balance that propensity to win and that capacity to change at the same time. And it's going to be a little bit different. Digital transformations, you know, they can last three to five years. And you have to adjust your strategy maybe every six months uh, or, or every nine to 12 months. And that's sort of that organizational structure that's kind of rigored that goes through these careful cycles with the type of change that we're seeing coming. And we'll go through some of these at the conference. Um, 
you kind of have to cycle faster. And so you'll have to be able to learn how to balance the capacity to win and the propensity, the propensity to win and the capacity to change with the courage to pivot at the same time. You're going to have to change your strategy almost every three months. And in the early years, maybe you have almost every month. And so the top line organizing principle, I think, that's going to be needed from an executive standpoint is you're going to have to go from an organization that's transforming to something that's more like an organism, okay, that has the capacity to self-reinvent within a set of rules faster. We're going to have to go from transformation to adaptation. And that's where I think the real change is going to happen, where speed and flexibility is going to matter. Doesn't mean you have to go first. It just means that when you start going, this is going to be the nature of the change. And I'll, I'll, I'll give people things to talk about. For example, if you want to understand the impact of, of AI to healthcare, you have to have a set of extremes that can inform your bias. So, for example, if I told you or if you assumed that there's enough data in the world already to cure every disease, we don't need another bite of data captured to cure every disease that AI can help us do that with the data that we already have captured, that shows you an angle of thinking that you could start to look from a perspective to say, hmm, now I understand the capacity of these algorithms. If we didn't have these algorithms, we would think we have to collect more data to solve all diseases. But what if these algorithms already have enough data to do that? And that kind of sets up the North Star in your head so you can start to paint a picture of how do you want to plot your path through the future. These are very interesting topics that we've got to explore. We are on the precipice of a technological leap and an improvement. I'm looking for an improvement in the human drama. That would be awesome. And before I let you go, can you let us know, let the audience know how, what's the best way to contact you? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I've always been a, a LinkedIn fan. I think I have profiles on the other networks, but I don't really act on them. I'm easy to find on LinkedIn and I engage there. Um, pretty much anyone who messages me get a response within 24 to 48 hours. That that works for me. I am a LinkedIn fan myself. I do a lot on LinkedIn. I found it the most effective tool for business development and personal branding that I've ever seen in my life. I said, wow, I wish I had this when I was six years old and I was thinking about all the different uh, parties and, and, and taking my in my head and music, you know, that, that, that would have been a nice, nice idea uh, to have. But somebody had the idea and here we are living in it right now. This is wonderful. Thank you for being on the Follow Brand. I want to encourage your entire audience to view all the episodes on Follow Brand at www.5starbdm. That is B for brand, B for development, and for masters.com. Until next time, thank you very much for being on the show, Richie. Thanks, man. Had a blast. Me too.